the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he was born of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in fulfillment of the scriptures. Just keep it moving 
solid ground. I think the master, I think the savior, because you healed my heart, you changed my name.
If you have ever thought that there might be something better than the Lord's taste, raise your hand. I know I have. There is nothing better than him. Nothing is going to satisfy you the way that Jesus will. Everything else is going to flee. It is going to leave you. It'll be for a moment. We're going to sing that chorus again. And I just want you to know. I am one who knows that there is nothing better than him. I have been down the other roads. There is nothing that will satisfy you. There was a hole made inside of you for him to fill. And if you have not asked him in, I pray, I just pray that you would, that you would ask him in today. He will fill you up like you have never been filled. He's going to satisfy you like you want to be satisfied. He sees you. He adores you. He loves you unconditionally. We can search this whole world. We could get to the top and we still will not be filled without him. Lord, there is nothing that is better than you. I believe it with all of my heart. Nothing is going to satisfy except for you. I am ruined for you and you alone. Yes. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Stand 
here this morning. If you're new, we want to get to know you. There's a get to know you card right in front if you want to fill that out. Go around and greet some of your family of faith this morning. Good morning, family of faith. It's good to have you today. Good morning, good morning. It's a good day to come to church, amen? So come on in. We're going to get ready for tithes and offerings. So if you have something to give, you can prepare that. So I want, I want to tell you something really cool. You guys ready? So come on in. Let, let me tell you something really cool. So um, I think they're getting kids down to kids' church still. But I was going to wait till our next church meeting to tell you this, but that won't be till the fall. So um, I, w- I want to thank everybody. 2021. 2021 was the, the highest year of giving in our church history. So I just want to tell you that. So I appreciate your faithfulness and, and your giving. 
and all the things that we believe that God um, will do with the, the finances that come into the church. And certainly uh, last year spent a lot just dealing with the building here and upgrades and all that kind of stuff. But uh, now that we're getting past most of that, that we can really focus on getting out in the community and different things like that. So anyways, I appreciate your giving, your faithfulness, and we thank you for that. So as you give today, we just know that God is our provider. He's, he is our blessing and that we will live within his provision. Amen. Lord, we thank you for an opportunity to give this morning, and I praise, praise you for your faithfulness and, and your abundance to us in all things, Lord. And, and I pray, Lord, that those that may be dealing with financial issues, I pray that you make a way where there seems to be no way, that you, Lord, are our consistent provider, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, and everybody says... Bring something if you have it today. Some quick announcements. Don't forget, uh, every Monday from 6 to 7, church-wide prayer right here. So come on out. We are a praying church, and I appreciate not, not only your giving, but beyond that, I appreciate that we always have a remnant of people that are praying. That's the most important thing, so thank you for that. Uh, we're continuing our series on the book of Revelation Wednesday. Now, that's been a, like an information-heavy series. It's just like, wow. But anyhow... Uh, this Wednesday, we're going to come out of the book of Revelation just for a minute. We're going to jump into 1 Thessalonians 4 and in 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to talk about the catching away of the church. Then the following week, we're going to actually slide back into Revelation. We're going to talk about uh, the judgment seat of Christ and the great right throne judgment, all that kind of stuff. So anyways, uh, we're keeping on that on Wednesdays. Uh, and today, immediately after church, there is a kids' church uh, dream team meeting. So if you're involved in kids' church, please stay right after church. Now, if you just signed up, you probably weren't aware of that. If you want to stay, uh, go ahead. Uh, uh, we'll be integrating you into the teams pretty soon. But uh, if you're involved in kids' church, probably for 20, 25, 30 minutes maybe, right after church. So as fast as you can grab your kids and deal with whatever and head right here, we'll have that meeting so we can get you out the door. I think that's all I have to say. So if you've got your Bibles, you may get them out. Thank you, Chamberlain. And we appreciate our worship team always working hard for us. Amen. They do a good job. Genesis chapter number one. We are going back to the beginning. Um, we've been in a series. This is week number four. I think we may have a little more time in this series. But we're in a series entitled The Neighborhood that we have been uh, instructed by Jesus to learn what it means to love God with everything we are, heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? That's the greatest thing you can do, is grow in a relationship with God based on his love for us. Do you know that your salvation is available because of the great love of God? You respond to his love but, but if it wasn't for his love, there would be no way to be saved. Amen? So we, we're thankful for his love. We're grateful for his love. We live in his love, and certainly we as free will beings respond to it. Um, but then he, Jesus doesn't stop there. He challenges us in a certain way that it just doesn't end with our relationship with God, but it, it needs to roll into relationships with others. That you must love God with everything you are and then in turn love your neighbor as yourself. So, so our existence as believers is centered on this word love and what it means to grow in love because 
in our natural self, we, we don't love God just in our carnal nature, and we don't love our neighbor in our carnal nature, so things have to change about us. So the love of God is in a consistent way changing us. Amen? Now, the neighborhood, we've been dealing with what it really means to love your neighbor. And uh, the first week, we kind of broke it down super simple, because I think sometimes when we get only big picture looks at so big picture that we don't actually apply it. Well, remember the lawyer right before the parable of the Good Samaritan wanted to justify who he had to love. So he said, well, who actually is my neighbor? Well, who's your neighbor? How many of y'all have a neighbor that lives next door to you? Okay, unless you live way out by yourself in the country, which would be my preference, you probably have a neighbor, right? Or at least a stone throwaway neighbor. My, my neighbor isn't like right next to us, but I could hit his house with a stone if I threw it. So I have a neighbor, right? I wouldn't want to throw that stone, but you know, see my point. Um, that's who you need to learn how to love. You must learn to love your neighbor, okay? But then, as we said last week, what happens when my neighbor happens to be my enemy? Now what? Now, now we got issues. And now we're going back to the lawyer. Well, who really is my neighbor? So if my neighbor is, is my enemy, then uh, do I really have to love them? As we said last week, that it's not uh, out of the Christian faith that we must learn how to love our enemies. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, right? That, and, and that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. So in other words, at the end of what he says there in Matthew chapter 5, to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, it involves learning how to love your enemy as God loves the enemies of him. What did God do when it came to the enemies of him? Well, he came and died on the cross for them. Self-sacrificial love is how we must learn how to love our enemies, and that is extremely hard. And it's not just one of those things where you go, okay, no big deal, and then and you go do it. And all of a sudden, all these situations of life, and we learn how to nuance out in specifics that happen to us of what it means to love people in the context of our life. So, so today I want to kind of keep on with that. So Genesis chapter 1, we're going to go back to creation here. Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing. I think you know what creeping things are, the creepy crawlers, right? Uh, that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion and, and all these different things that happen after that. If you don't say anything about the creation account, up until this point, everything God said, he said, let there be. Let there be light, right? But when he gets to man, he says, okay, it's not let there be, but let us make, let us make. 
and he makes man in his own image. And that's very powerful. In the image of God, in his likeness, in other words, uh, in our inmost being, the fact that we have emotions, we have free will, all of these different things. So man is the epitome of creation, okay? And he actually gives the earth to man, says, says subdue it, multiply, fill it, and all the things here I really give to you. In other words, be a good steward over it, right? But the point I'm making here is this, that every single person, so you look around this room and, and see everybody here, and, and, and even though we're not a very large congregation, we, have, we are very diverse, aren't we? Which is good. Every single person in this room is made in the image of the Almighty God. Is that true? Now, now be, before I go anywhere else, just know, let me just say this. Being made in the image of God, you know you're purposed in him. You have reason to be here. You are not here by some sort of fate taking its course, and here you are. God made you purposely. He made you with reason. You, you, have, you have likes and you have dislikes. You have talents. You have abilities. You have a personality. All created in God. The way you look, you're purposed by him. Now, how many of y'all have ever done things to sort of mess that whole deal up? Oh, yeah, me too. But the wonderful thing about God is he, he, is, the, he is the great master at taking a mess and remaking it good. Amen. Thank goodness for that. How many of you are a testimony of the grace of God, of the goodness of God, that he can make a mess and make it good? Okay, amen. Now, he never stops that, by the way. He's always putting life in front of you. God, listen, God is the author of life, physical life. He is the author of life, of new creation life. God is the author of life. Amen. Everybody's made in his image. So, kind of a side thing, I meant to do this at the beginning. So, we should be praying for the situation in Ukraine. Amen? Praying that the peace of God will somehow, some way, in the midst of a mess, come through. Is that true? Well, well why? Why? Because everybody is made in the image of God. And I think sometimes when we say these things about loving our neighbor and things like this, it, it becomes such a big picture thing that we never think about it and apply it to not only the situations we face, but what we see happening in our world. Ever since Cain killed Abel, we have been on a trajectory of anti-life. Did God make Abel? Was Abel made in the image of God? But Cain decided he felt he could do something about that, I guess. He was so angry, so upset, so jealous, and he killed him. What is anti-life ultimately is anti-Christ. And you think about that. If, if God is the author of life, when we decide different, then we operate in the spirit of the Antichrist. Remember we said last week, 
when James and John wanted to call down fire from heaven and burn up the Samaritan village because they would not let them enter. And, and, and Jesus rebuked them. And in the King James, some of the manuscripts said, then you don't know what spirit you are of. If you're not of the Holy Spirit, then you're, you're of the opposite kind of spirit. Is that right? So we, we pray for peace because, well, killing is happening. It's anti-life. See, see the, church, the church's stance is that we are pro-life. Is that true? That we believe in the sanctity of life. That at the moment of conception, life is there, and it's life ordained by God, purposed by God, and formed by God. Amen. But you know that, that pro-life doesn't stop when a baby's born? And this is where I think the church misses it sometimes. So I, I'm not going to tell you my age, but I am of a certain age that's getting older. Um, and it's been a long, long decade since I've been a baby. Um, but, you know, pro-life is pro-my life, too, even at my age, you know that? Pro-life is caring about life for everybody sitting next to you in this room, even though all the kids and the little ones are downstairs in the kids' church right now. Pro-life doesn't stop when a baby's born. Pro-life is pro-life. If you're breathing and alive, we're pro-your life. It's called womb to tomb, not just babies being born. Ch change, change our mentality about life. Why? Why? Because everybody is in the image of God no matter how old you are. God gave each of us life and purpose just to be here. Do you see your neighbor like that? You see what I'm getting at? There's nobody that's walking this earth. And what we do, by the way, in sin, we mar that image. In sin. But, but God, because he is, again, the one who likes to deal with our mess, he comes to save us. So he's all about life. He's trying, to, he's trying to remake us back in the fullness of his image and forgiveness and freedom from sin, right? That we in this world today learn how to live in a new way while we wait for him to come again. That's the Christian life. It's new life. It's pro-life. Um, but do you see your neighbor that way? See, this is what happens in society. We, we have a tendency to, to see society in such a way that we just want it to hum along sort of like a machine. And, and what happens is people have a tendency to become faceless and nameless and storyless. They're just part of the, the machine of society because we're trying to accomplish things. We're trying to see things done. We, we want to, to uh, 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 whether it's, it's, it's socially or economically, we want society to happen, and, and, and really in a good way. But the problem is that people end up without a, a really being nameless and storyless. People end up being a means to an end a lot. And a lot of times, as long as I get mine and you don't bug me in the process, I'm happy. And then we end up not really worrying about them and what happens to them. You see? Love has action. Love is never idle to itself. Why did God create in the first place? Because he is love. 
And when us as a creation, we want to mess up his deal, love still has action, so God sent his only son into this world. Why? To save us, because he loved us. Then his mode of saving us, while we were at sinners, they opposed to God, he died for us. I mean, love always has action. You cannot love your neighbors yourself and stand back. That, that's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Remember, the Samaritan, the hero of the story, went out of his way to do something for the one that was beaten and robbed and left for dead. He could have cared less, just like the, the, the priest and the Levite that went on the other side of the road, but there's something about his love for neighbor. He went over to do something about it, because even though he didn't know that person, didn't, didn't understand the story, maybe didn't even know what happened, something drew him because love has action. If he didn't care, that person's just part of this machine of society and this happened to him, whatever. As long as I get mine, he's going to keep on his way. So, so love puts a face and a name and a story. Because we've all gotten to where we are because of our past. We have a story. There's, there's a reason our life is the way it is. And to begin to understand that in love helps to be the kind of people that Jesus wants us to be. First and foremost, in sharing the gospel. But being the kind of person that, that has empathy to the stories of the people that they have in life. You see what I'm getting at? That, that when you go to the bank, and, and, and let's say you don't do the drive-thru, you go in, there's a bank teller there. I say this because most of us have a bank account. Amen. That person that you're dealing with is not just part of a cog of a machine to get what you need done. They have a name, they have a story. And we're to love them like ourselves. You see what I'm getting at? Or when you're in Walmart and you decide to skip the self-checkout, and you're actually in the checkout line. And you get up to that person and, and, and it's, it's five carts deep and everybody's overflowing like there's a winter storm coming or something and you're agitated, you're frustrated, it took you a while to get there. They're in a bad mood, you're in a bad mood, and all of a sudden it strikes you that that's a real person made in the image of God and you are to love them as yourself. They're not just a means of you getting what you want and getting out of Walmart. How many know what I'm getting at? Do we got to start to see people past what we just need and what we want. See, see, the role of the church, the role of the church, again, being made in the image of God, people lost in their sin, Jesus comes to, to save us, but yet Jesus ascended, did he not? Who is here to be the hands and the feet of Jesus himself? We are. See, the role of the church when we leave this building is to participate in the work of God of the healing of the nations. But again, you say that, that's a big picture thought. It's got to come down to the individual person. The, the role of the church is not to conquer the world. The role of the church is not to get out of here. The role of the church is to participate in kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the role of the church. And you cannot fulfill the role of the church as participating in the healing of people if you don't see them as a person with a name, with, with, with a story, and a life, and the fact that they may need Jesus because he's the only one that can fix it. You've got to learn really to see, see. Listen, that, so 
when I'm always harping on you, and I do this a lot, I know I say this a lot, and I know you're like, whatever, you keep saying it. I say it for a reason. I, when I say things a lot, I realize I say it a lot. I'm, I'm not, I'm, my mental capacities are still okay, for the most part. I tell you to slow down. How many of you hear me say you need to slow down a lot? I tell you to slow down when you get in the Word. I tell you to slow down in prayer. I tell you to slow down in worship. You've got to slow down in your life. But it also teaches you to slow down when it comes to people. You can, you can be so busy and so bust through life that you pass by everybody you encounter, and they just turn into that faceless, storyless mechanism that you being successful in life, as long as they're playing their part, you're good. And you miss this, this role of engaging in a way that you could possibly be the avenue of being part of the healing of their life. It's hard to do, but we've been called to it. Um, I read a story uh, a few years ago. I came across this. Uh, I actually pulled this out of my notes because I've used this before in, in sermons in the past. But it is, several years ago, I read this story. Um, I, I think uh, I actually wrote it on my notes here. My son Gavin was getting a haircut. There was a magazine sitting there, and I was just reading in a magazine. It was an outdoors magazine. Um, and and I, I came across a title that said, Left to Die on Mount Everest. That struck my curiosity. So I started reading this, this uh, magazine article. It was a story about a guy named David Sharp. Um, and this, this is just one example. There could be thousands of examples of this. But um, David Sharp was a, a math teacher from England. And uh, he had a desire to summit Mount Everest. As you know, that, that's a big task. Mount Everest, I think, is roughly about 29,000 feet up. Uh, but once you get about past about 26,000 feet, your body just doesn't work good, right? Uh, David Sharp had tried to summit Everest twice before, failed both times uh, for whatever reason. As, as a matter of fact, on one of his uh, summit bids, uh, he got frostbite, lost some of his toes. So he understood the danger of trying to climb Mount Everest. It is an expensive venture. You spend thousands of dollars to do this, to hire the guys, to have all your equipment and gear. It takes a lot of planning. But anyhow, David Sharp went for his third attempt to summit Mount Everest. They believe that he summited, he made it, and about on his way down, about 800 feet down, he, he just started to die. His body was shutting down. He was beginning to freeze. The thing about it is uh, there, there's a camp, they call it ABC camp. I forget how high up it is. I think you got about an eight-hour climb from that camp to summit and come back. When he did it, he left alone. He wasn't with a group. He tried to do it alone. And on his way back down, he began to die. His body was shutting down. He began to freeze. It is estimated that about... 40 people passed him in their own summit bids as groups, okay? Now, to say this, if you know anything about this, if you watch documentaries or read about this, people dying on these things is not uncommon at all. Whether it's Everest or other, other high mountain pushes uh, the summit, people dying is not uncommon. 
to, to undertake a rescue mission is extremely dangerous. There's a chance you may lose your life trying to rescue somebody else. It's that big of a deal. Um, uh, but thing is, remember, it costs a lot of money to do stuff like that. You invest thousands of dollars to do this. Uh, um, and and I'll, I'll just be honest, it's probably a big ego boost for something like this. If you're out there trying to climb a 29,000-foot mountain, there's an ego boost to, boost to this. You want to do this, you want to accomplish it. 40 people passed him. There were some that stopped to, to talk to him and offer some help, but they believe every single case was after they summited and they were on their way back. Think about that. They only offered help after they accomplished what they wanted to accomplish. In other words, none of them were willing to give up their summit bid to help him because they'd lost all their money, they would have had to give up their dream, and all this different stuff. As a matter of fact, he was on a fixed rope. There's parts of it are fixed rope that's in, and you, you clip a carabiner to it to, to guide you a little bit. They believed that when he was laying around, he was actually clipped to the rope still, so people would have had to unclip their carabiner, walk around him, and reclip to keep climbing. Think about that. All in an effort to get theirs. Now, would he have lived? They don't know. That's just uh, hypothetical. Maybe, maybe not. They, they said uh, on the way down at the point where they felt him, it was almost like he was turning to wood a little bit. You know, he was hardening from freezing. You know, so uh, actually, uh, I'm not sure at what point in his climb, he, they actually interviewed him for a, a National Geographic uh, documentary at one point if, if, in his climbing. So, um, but it's an amazing story that he was dying. They actually, one group radioed down to, to the camp, to, to the leader, the, the guy that they were paying, and he just, they said, leave him there. He, he's, he's too far gone. Just leave him. You bring him down, he's going to die anyway. Just leave him there. Uh, so this attitude that climbing Mount Everest is a business. It's a business. It's a high-dollar business. And if you're going to undertake this, you have to go in. I just may die, but everybody then treats you that way. And if you start to die, there's a good chance they're just going to leave you there because it's a business. It's a machine. People spending money wanting to accomplish something, and if you get thrown off the side, in other words, not over, but you want to say you start to die, they just leave you there. There, there are all sorts of frozen bodies up on Mount Everest. It's a business. You see what I'm saying? It's a business. And when business of life overtakes somebody that has a name and a face made in the image of God, we have messed up what life is about. You see what I'm getting at? Now, how often do we come past the David Sharp in our life, in the way we live? David Sharp could be the Walmart teller. They're not physically dying because of lack of oxygen and they're freezing, but their soul, they may be lost, right? Or, or maybe it is the person that, that is so struggling financially. They don't know what to do, but maybe end their life. They see no way out. Maybe you're the only one they have in contact with that may share Jesus is the answer. And I may have something I can share with you in this moment that I can't fix your big, 
biggest problem you have, but I can help right here. Give a little hope. Give something to grab onto. And not just unclip your carabiner and, and just get on with the business because you've got things to accomplish. You put, you put a lot into this. See, see the, the good Samaritan last week, remember the, the parable? He was going somewhere. He had business to attend to, but yet he stopped. And then it cost him money. He wasn't going to get back. And he made sure he was taken care of. You see what I'm saying? And went on his way. But when he came back, he said, now I'm going to come back and cover any expense that was above what I already gave you. He, he was looking out for the situation in, in its entirety. Why? Because the, the, the Levite and the priest, when they walked by that dude, they unclipped their carabiner, walked on the other side of the road, and got back to the fixed line with the business of like clipped back on and kept walking. That when we start to understand that each and every person, that, that's why things that are happening in Ukraine are, are tragic on, on a very base level. Because everybody involved is made in the image of God. And everybody involved needs a savior. And everybody involved will face an eternity. Amen. That we start to see the world. And I'm, I'm going to be really honest with you. When you start to see the world that way, it will break your heart. And what will happen is you will find and you will start to see, I am so little in this situation. What in the world can I do? I can't fix this. That, that's what you start feeling that way. But it's not that you have to fix the whole thing, but what can you do? On the most base level, we can pray. I can't go over there and broker peace, but I can pray, right? But, but the individual people that I see, what can I do? You've got to pray, but sometimes you've got to be part of the answer to your prayer too. What can I, what can I do? I, I'm not a millionaire. I wish I was. Y'all, I, I, I just, I'm telling you what, I'd just, I just help you out. I would. If I had it, I, I'd give it. But I do have something. You know, you know, in, the, you know in, the, in, the, in the Bible, if you look through the scriptures, you will not find three classes of people there. You will find those who do not have and those who have. In this room, I'm going to say, I know some of you, uh, whatever your uh, specific situation is, everybody in this room probably is on the have side. I know I am. I'm on the have side. What do I do with what I have? I'm not a millionaire, but I have. I do, right? What do I do with it? I I'm, still at I'm still at the age in life where I can physically do things for people. Maybe I'm not a millionaire, but I can, I can help in this way by, by doing this physical task. You know, it's, it's simple as, as if you have somebody living next door, it's like a shut-in, it snows, you've got a shovel, 
you're physically able, go shovel the driveway. That, that's little things in life that say, this is the image of God, and I will express my love as my neighbor, as myself, in any way that I can do it. I'm just not going to shovel my driveway, see that there's a shut, and clip my carabiner on the other side and start going down the road. What do you have that you can do something with that expresses the fact that you love your neighbor as yourself, even if it's your enemy? See, in this way, we start, what, what in the world did, did, that drove God that Jesus comes in order to save a world would die on a cross? What would drive him to do something like that? So contrary to the way that we live, what would drive him to do that? It is such a love. That God didn't even own carabiners anymore. He cut the fixed line, man. He came down and just got right in the middle of it. No thought on his part of, of, of bypassing the situation. He could have. He didn't have to save us. He didn't have to do anything. This is where the Christian starts to see life in a different way. You start seeing people through the eyes of God with the help of the Holy Spirit, it will absolutely change you. You, you won't, and what happens is uh, you realize that even the most, the, the most best intention way of society, somebody still loses, you know that? Whether it's economically, whether it's socially, there's always somebody that's going to be on the down and out, always. That's why there's a kingdom come that fixes it. That we don't classify people, we, we don't look at them in a certain way, and then, okay, well, phew. and then that, I guess I don't really have to love this person because you, you, you categorize them in such a way, you, you push them out of the picture. You see what I mean? That we see each, we, we slow down enough to see a person, image of God. That person, no matter how far they may be in sin or, or whatever their economic status is, whatever their social status is, they deserve dignity. They've been made in the image of God. They are a purposed creation of God. You know, the church, one of the, one of the biggest things the church can do is that everybody that ventures on this property, that they're bestowed dignity by remembering their name, by getting to know them, by welcoming them into the family of faith. We know how messed up they are. Psh, I don't know. Last time I looked in the mirror, I didn't see some perfect specimen standing there, so how about we stop that business? And, and, and given the dignity of being a part of a body of people that share Jesus. Amen? But then, then it doesn't stop in the church. Then we get, we get out in society. And the people that we come across, everybody you come across deserves the dignity that they've been purposely made in the image of God. It'll stop and make you think. 
and it may change how you, so when I walk up to that, that person, because I'm frustrated. I was five carts deep, and everybody bought the whole store in front of me. I was there 20 minutes. I got things to do. Hurry up. And then, then she puts her flashing light on. There's a problem. <laughs> Lord, have mercy on my soul. And you're thinking, James and John, I wonder if I called down fire from heaven, if God would answer my prayer. You see what I mean? That, that person is as frustrated, if not more frustrated, than you. Because they've been dealing with everybody's unchristian attitude until you got there. And then you may be the only person in that line to say, hey, it's okay, don't worry about it. Take your time. You got this. Anything I can do for you, you just go. You, you may get an attitude, but you just, you just did something that they did not get the rest of that day, I promise you. Why? Because they deserve dignity. They're made in the image of God. Can I pray with you? I'm going to talk about making people mad behind you. You reach across. My goodness, what in the world, right? So what can you do? This is what it means to store up treasure in heaven. That you're not so worried. Listen, I want you to accomplish your dreams. I want you to do everything you feel purpose in life to do. When it gets to be the age of retirement, I hope you do, do well. But not because you constantly were unclipping your carabiner to get there. Then you've missed it. Because every time you keep your carabiner on that line and you help, you're storing up treasure in heaven. Where, 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 where moth cannot destroy, where rust can't destroy, where a thief cannot break in and steal. Because remember, where, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Are you more concerned with summiting Everest or David Sharp, who's in your way? Where's your concern? I hope, I hope it's with, with this guy. Amen? What if I never get back? What's a goal in life when you step over people? Amen? All right. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need you to help us because this is, Lord, this stuff is not easy. We don't want to just believe in you. We want to practice what you say. We want to live in the way because we want to believe your way is the best way, even when it's hard. Even when it makes us slow down, even when we have to see things outside of ourselves. I pray we begin to see that. And I pray that, that our light in the world is sharing the gospel, but also living it. What it means that you are constantly putting new life in front of us, but how can we participate in doing that? Lord, help us. Give us new eyes to see, get, get, get the the glass cleaner off and, and scrub our eyeballs out, Lord, so we can see the way you see. And it touches our heart and grows our love. But I believe, Lord, that we find, we'll find immense fulfillment in you when we start doing the simplest things for those around us. Lord, help us. I pray, Lord, that, that the gifts of the Spirit move in us I pray, Lord, where we have 
tangible things that we can do. I pray, pray that we do these things. To live is in the embodiment of the church, of you, in this world. For your glory, for your name, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, be blessed as you go. So how about this? Let's, as we're walking out today, let's, let's practice some of this love today. Amen? All right, we'll see you Wednesday night. Uh, kids' church team for this meeting. As fast as you can get here, as fast as we can get you out of here. Be blessed as you go.